Welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Daniel. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by The Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. All right, welcome to the Coming Out of the Dark Bible Study. I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. Let's thank our Lord and Savior tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our lives and saving us, opening our eyes and giving us eternal life, Lord. And thank you for saving us and doing for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. We're eternally grateful. I'd like to thank the people, the core of the ministry, one body, many parts. You know who you are to keep this going. We all need this. We all need to work together to keep it going. Thank you, Jesus. We appreciate all of you. If you have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study. And we will start with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Savior Jesus, we're just so grateful and thankful that you give us another opportunity today, Lord, tonight, to gather together as your family to worship, honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more and more about you, Lord, and how you would want us to live down here, Lord, how you'd want us to think down here, how you'd want us to pray down here, Lord. Please, Lord, let us be in unity in the spirit tonight, Lord, and I pray you take any bitterness or resentment and anger out of our hearts tonight, Lord. And fill it with your unconditional love, Lord, so we can get a crystal clear message through your word by your spirit, Lord. We pray for the people that are sick, Giselle and George and Doreen. We pray for a healing on them, Lord, to bring them back to us swiftly, Lord. As everything is designed to bring people closer to you, Lord, help us to get better and not bitter through the trials you put us through and tests, Lord. Knowing that you're molding us and shaping us into the image of your son, the Lord Jesus, so we can glorify you and help build your kingdom down here, Lord. We're grateful for that. Thank you for choosing us, Lord. It is truly an honor to serve you, Father. Let us do things in the spirit tonight, Lord, and not the flesh. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to stand and worship the Lord.
for us. Amen? He paid it all. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed us white as snow. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He did for us what we can never do for ourselves. We can never clean the stain of sin from ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for us. And everything we need to live a godly life, He's already provided for us. All we have to do is use it and apply it and obey Him. Amen? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy as a Christian than to trust and obey. Amen? All right. How's everybody doing tonight, okay? It's good to see everybody, as always. What a beautiful day it was. It's warm. It's in February. I'll take it, you know? Wish Dave a happy birthday, right? He was right in the middle of both of them, right? <laughs> Right on Valentine's Day, you know, like a day over 20. You're still getting caught. There you go, see? All right. It's a good thing. First John chapter 2, let's turn there. As always, the Holy Spirit will be taken over as I'm going to get out of the way and let the Scripture speak to us, amen? So please prepare your hearts and your minds to receive the message the Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to go back. <laughs> All right. Go right back to verse 1. Back up, back up. All right. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, calls us his children, isn't it awesome? I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Thank you, Jesus. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. 
like I always say, having him is one thing, but knowing him is a totally different thing. You believe in him, you have him, but you have to get to know him if you plan on obeying him. How can you obey someone you don't know? It doesn't make any sense. Once you get to know him and his ways, then we start to obey it. That's the growth process of becoming spiritual growth. Amen? That's the sanctification process. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. So it says, if somebody says, I know God, but don't obey God, that person is lying. Right? And is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word, here it is, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. <clears throat> if you love me, Jesus said, you will obey me. That is how we know we are living in him. So we know that when we're living right and obeying God, we know that Jesus is living in us. Because you sense him, because you know it's not you doing it. It's him living through you. Because we can't be obedient in the flesh. So when we become obedient, that's Jesus. We recognize that he's living in us and through us. That's an awesome example to follow. Those who say they live in God, listen, it says now, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, how are you going to live your life as Jesus did if you don't know how Jesus lived? If you read the Jesus is Genesis to Revelation, by the way, not just the Gospels. Jesus is the Word. From Genesis to Revelation. Can I get an amen here? We have to understand, not just the Gospels. It's the whole counsel of God. Jesus is the Word of life. The Word of life starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. Can I get a big amen there? And that, this church is all about reading the whole Bible. Amen? <clears throat> and if you don't feel like reading it, I'll do it for you. <laughs> Every day. All right, a new commandment. Verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. Yet, it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. What's the light? Light is the truth. Light oh, in the Bible is truth, the truth of God's word. And his word is shining right now, amen? Thank you, Jesus. If anyone claims <clears throat> I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in the darkness or in the flesh. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. They don't flaunt their abilities and their talents and things, their liberties to do to cause someone else to stumble. Can I get an amen there? You think about other people. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in the darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Verse 12. I am writing to you who are God's children. Because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith. Because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith. 
because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children, because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith, because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith, because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts, and you have won your battle with the evil one. See, when God's word is in our hearts, we can always win the battle against the evil one or the flesh. Because the word is in our hearts. Now, we know the scriptures. We know how to resist, right? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. He who is in me is greater than who is in the world, right? Look at verse 15. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Amen? That's it. So when we become Christians and we try to adapt the world into our Christianity, that's what makes us miserable because it doesn't work. He tells us to come up out of the world. That I mean, you still have to live in the world. He says, just don't go by the principles. Don't be prideful about your accomplishments because all your accomplishments came from God. He's the one that should get glorified. Amen. He gives you the ability to make a living. He gives you the ability to go to school and pass tests. He gives you the ability to be a boss or a, or a worker or whatever he might have you. God gives you the ability to do it, amen? And he should get the glory. How about a big amen there? As a Christian, we understand this now, that he's the one that gifted us with these abilities. So we don't have to look for recognition anymore because God sees everything, amen? All right, we ready to go to Daniel? Oh, yeah, we're all ready for that, right? <clears throat> all right, we're in Daniel chapter 2. Anybody know when we left off? I know somebody does. <laughs> All right. Just let me set the stage a little bit here before we go on. When Daniel came of age in Babylon, okay, Jerusalem, the holy city, lay in ruins. Babylon was flourishing, but it would also soon wither and die. God's people, the children of Israel, were living as exiles in Babylonia. Could they hope to enjoy life as the Lord's chosen nation again? Through Daniel's experiences as a captive and as a government official, <clears throat> and through special messages, God revealed his power and his plan for history to Daniel, showing that he would rescue his people from exile and even from death. The Babylonian Empire, 605 to 539 B.C., when Daniel and his friends were taken captive to Babylon in 605 B.C., Babylon was quickly becoming the dominant power in the region under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar II. Meanwhile, the Medes and the Persians to the east were growing stronger and in 549 B.C. became a single kingdom under Persian King Cyrus II in 559 to 530 B.C. Okay, we're in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. 
We're in verse 24. Daniel's going to interpret the dream from Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the dream told what he was in his heart. He didn't want, he didn't tell him what the dream was. He wanted them to tell him, them what the dream was. And only God gave that ability to Daniel. Big amen here, right? <clears throat> okay. Let's go to verse 24. Then Daniel went to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Okay, now before we go on, Daniel did not use his success, okay, to promote his own self-interest. He thought of others. When striving to succeed or survive, remember the needs of others over yourself. Big lesson there, amen? Verse 25. <clears throat> Ariat quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of this dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, <clears throat> There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. Verse 29. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Now, before we go on, before Daniel told the king anything else, he gave credit to God, okay? Explaining that he did not know the dream through his own wisdom, but only because God revealed it. How easily we take credit for what God does through us. This robs God of the honor that he alone deserves. Instead, we should be like Daniel and point people to God so that we give him the glory. How about a big amen? A lot of people like to take credit for what they do instead of giving God the glory who worked through them to, to give him the ability to do it. Okay, verse 31. Get a sip of water now. Now we're going to talk here. <clears throat> then we're going to have to try to figure out what it means. Okay, ready for this? I had to study this. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. Sounds like one of them transformers. <laughs> As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain. 
but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of iron. But while some parts of it <clears throat> will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. But they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. So everybody understands that, right? <laughs> During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and will stand forever. Okay, now in verse 44, God's kingdom will never be destroyed, okay? If you are upset by threats of war and the prosperity of evil leaders, remember that God, not world leaders, decides the outcome of history. Under God's protection, God's kingdom is indestructible. Those who believe in God are members of his kingdom and are secure in him. How about a thank you, Jesus, there? No matter what goes on, we are protected by God. How about a big amen there? <clears throat> he protects us. Okay, verse 45. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Nebuchadnezzar rewards Daniel. <clears throat> then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods. The Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. 
All right, now I'm going to explain the dream to you, okay? You ready? Pay attention now. The head of gold on the statue in the dream represented Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of the Babylonian Empire. The silver chest and two arms represented the media Persian Empire, okay, which conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. The belly and thighs of bronze were Greece and Macedonia under Alexander the Great, who conquered the medio persian Empire in 334 and 330 B.C. The legs of iron represented Rome, which conquered the Greeks in 63 B.C. The feet of clay and iron represented the breakup of the Roman Empire when the territory Rome ruled divided into a mixture of strong and weak nations. The type of metal in each pot depicted the strength of the political power it represented. The rock cut out of the mountain depicted God's kingdom, which would be ruled eternally by the Messiah the king of kings. The dream revealed Daniel's God as the power behind all earthly kingdoms. Nebuchadnezzar honored Daniel and Daniel's God. If Daniel had taken the credit himself, the king would have honored only Daniel. But because Daniel gave God the credit, the king honored both of them. Part of our mission in this world is to show unbelievers what God is like. We can do that by giving God credit for what he does in our lives. Our acts of love and compassion may impress people, and if we give God credit for our actions, they will want to know more about him. Give thanks to God for what he is doing in and through you. How about a big amen there? All right, so I interpreted the dream. Now we're going to keep going. Go to verse 48. And you could always go back and listen to it again if you want to get deeper and write things down and go doing research yourself there. But it, it more will be revealed as we go on. Amen? Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all his wise men. Who's that remind you of? Back in Egypt. Remember Joseph? Joseph was favored by God, and God put him in power in the foreign nation, right? That's just like, because Daniel was obedient and faithful to God, God honored him and put him in power in a different world, in a different nation, amen? Why? Anybody who's truly all in with God and is in there with their hearts completely with him, God will raise you up to the most powerful position you can imagine, but... You have to be all in with no, no doubts in your mind at all and just trust him completely and he will raise you up. Amen? He can do wonders in anybody's life. But when we have doubts, he just can't do anything for us. Jesus says, if you believe with no doubt, you can move a mountain, he said. That's how powerful God is. Remember, you look outside, he created all this. Hurricanes and earthquakes and all that. Who do you think opens up the sky? Who do you think opens up the ground? Who do you think erupts the volcanoes? That's God. God's the one who does it. 
lightning, thunder. He's got so much power. And guess what? He wants to put that power in his people. But unfortunately, his people don't believe in him enough for him to put it in them. Can I get a big amen there? Even Elijah, right? He didn't have any power, but he, when he asked God to shut the, the rain, didn't rain for three years. Because he was what? Obedient to God. People do not understand that your obedience is what unlocks God's power and your faithfulness to him and your heart devoted wholeheartedly to him. Remember Caleb and Joshua? Only the two people who got in the promised land, he said they have a different spirit. They all end with me. They want nothing but me. They obey me 100%. The other people doubted God, so they didn't get in the promised land. They believed in him and not doubted him, and they're the ones who get in. So what's the principle? Listen, don't have any reservations about what God's doing. Just go full force and do it. You know God called you. Just do what he tells you to do and keep going. Don't doubt him, and guess what? Stop sinning. So God can channel his more power through you. Can I get a big amen there? Our sin blocks that. Our what? Anger and bitterness and resentment and rage and jealousy. It blocks the channel from that power coming into your life and resurrecting you. Big amen there, right? <laughs> All right. Verse 49, before we go on. After being named ruler of all the whole province of Babylon and placed in charge of the wise men, Daniel requested that his companions, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be appointed as his assistants. Daniel knew that he could not handle such an enormous responsibility without capable assistance. So he chose the best men he knew, his three Hebrew companions. A competent leader never does all the work alone. He or she knows how to delegate and supervise. Moses, Israel's greatest leader, shared the burden of administration with dozens of assistants. And this story is in Exodus 18, verse 13 to 27, remember? It was too much to handle. So his uncle, um, I think it was Hobab or whatever, one of them, told him, there's 70 other people that can help you with this, with the smaller matters, with the bigger matters you handle yourself. No one person can handle the body of Christ. That's why when I say one body, many parts, I mean it. We need a lot of parts to the body that's for this to function properly. And all of us are responsible to use the abilities and talents to build his kingdom. Amen? Unfortunately, fear creeps into the believer's heart and they're afraid to serve him. When you're not the one doing it, God's the one doing it. Don't ever let fear stop you, amen? All right, we're ready to break into chapter 3 now, right? Here we go. Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Now it's going to really start getting interesting now as we go deeper into this. All right. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall. Think about 90 feet tall. You know how 90 feet, how big 90 feet tall is? That's like a, two churches. You know the steeple? Put two of them together. That's how 90 feet. That's only about 50 feet, the steeple from there. The ground. Just imagine, his statue is that big. 90 feet, look at 
90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, in Aramaic, 60 cubits or 27 meters tall, and 6 cubits or 2.7 meters wide, and set it up on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Okay, now before we go on, let me explain something to you. In Babylon's religious culture, statues were frequently worshipped. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar hoped to use this huge image, 90 feet high by 9 feet wide, as a strategy to unite the nation and solidify his power by centralizing worship. Okay? This gold statue may have been inspired by his dream. Instead of having only a head of gold, however, it was gold from head to toe. From head to toe. Nebuchadnezzar wanted his kingdom to last forever. When he made the statue, Nebuchadnezzar showed that his devotion to Daniel's God was short-lived. He neither feared nor obeyed God, who was behind the dream. I'll put an amen there. Now, they're saying that statue was solid gold. <laughs> How are you going to steal something that big? You can't. You can't steal that. <clears throat> Just imagine what it took to make. All right, verse 2. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials, go officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials came and stood before the statue king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now let me explain what this furnace was, okay? This blazing furnace they're talking about was not a small oven for cooking dinner or heating a house, okay? It was a huge industrial furnace that could have been used for baking bricks or smelting metals, Okay, the temperatures were hot enough to assure that no one could survive. The roaring flames could be seen leaping from the top opening, and a fiery blast killed the soldiers who went up to the large opening in, in verse 22. Verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. <clears throat> but some of the astrologers, or Chaldeans, went to the king and informed, informed on the Jews. He ratted them out. Okay? But nothing can happen unless God allows it. So there's a reason behind it. 
They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They were jealous, by the way. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Now before we go on, we don't know if the other Jews refused to fall down and worship the statue, but these three were singled out as public examples. Okay? Why didn't the three men just bow to the image and tell God that they didn't mean it? They had determined never to worship another god, and they courageously took their stand. As a result, they were condemned and led away to be executed. The men did not know whether they would be delivered from the fire. All they knew was that they would not fall down and worship an idol. Are you ready to take a stand for God no matter what? When you stand for God, you will stand out. It may be painful, and it may not always have a happy ending. Be prepared to say, if he rescues me, or if he doesn't, I will serve only God. How about a big amen there? That day may come, by the way. Verse 13. We've got to be ready for it. When Nebuchadnezzar, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage in order that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now before we go on, Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage when anyone dared to disobey him, okay? As the supreme ruler of Babylonia, he expected absolute obedience. But his pride had caused him to go beyond his own authority. His demands were unjust and his reactions extreme. If you find yourself angered when people don't follow your directions, ask yourself, why am I reacting this way? Your ego may be overly involved with your authority. How about a big amen there? What does ego stand for? Edging God out. And you taking his place. All right, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Verse 15, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. <laughs> but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you 
for my power. Now before we go on, the three men were given one more chance. Okay? They were given another chance. Here are eight excuses they could have used to bow to the statue and save their lives. One, we will fall down but not actually worship the idol. Two, we won't become idol worshipers but we'll worship it this one time and then ask God for forgiveness. Three, the king has absolute power and we must obey him. God will understand. Four, the king appointed us. We owe this to him. Five, this is a foreign land, so God will excuse us for following the customs of the land. Six, our ancestors set up idols in God's temple. This isn't half as bad. Seven, we're not hurting anybody. Eight, if we get ourselves killed and some pagans take our high positions, they won't help our people in exile. Although all these excuses sound sensible at first, they are all dangerous rationalizations. To fall down and worship the image would violate God's command in Exodus 20, verse 3. You must not have any other God but me. It would also erase their testimony for God forever. Never again could they talk about the power of their God Above all other gods, what excuses do you use for not standing up for him? Quiet, right? Just think about what they were just think about what they were gonna do. Now just imagine somebody came up to you and said, I, I want you to worship the devil. And if you don't, I'm throwing you in that fire. Would you say, just throw me in the fire? What would you say then? How strong would your faith be? We live in America. We're a bunch of little sissies. We are. We never come to the, never come to the where your head's going to get cut off or they're going to throw you on a blazing furnace and say, I love Jesus until something that extreme happens. Then you'll see where your faith really is. Amen? Because as a believer, just like he told them, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. So even if he doesn't rescue them, he wouldn't bow. And anyway, it was a win-win for them because they'd be with God anyway. If they did die for the cause. But they wouldn't lose their testimony. Okay. Now let's read verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Now look at verse 18. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you. Now, now listen, they're talking to King Nebuchadnezzar now. This guy is no joke. Looking at what they said to him. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you. Like, pay attention, Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to know for sure, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. 
Now there's some faithful men right there. Now before we go on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were pressured to deny God. But they chose to be faithful to him no matter what happened. They trusted God to deliver them, but they were determined to be faithful regardless of the consequences. If God always rescued those who were true to him, Christians would not need faith. Their religion would be a great insurance policy and there would be lines of selfish people ready to sign up. We should be faithful to serve God whether he intervenes on our behalf or not. Our eternal reward is worth any suffering we may have to endure first. How about a big amen there? Unfortunately, Christianity is not taught the way it should be taught. When we, when we say we give it to God, I mean we give our lives to God. Literally give them to God. And that means whatever it takes to worship God, we will do. Amen. And we have to be what? Taught that. Through reading the word, studying the word, and applying it to our lives, and obeying God, not people. And that's what we're doing here, right? We're learning the word of God because, let me tell you, days are getting dark out there. As a true Christian, they're going to turn from the faith because we're going to get ostracized and we're going to get persecuted for believing in Jesus because everything that we believe in, the world says is wrong. They're saying what they do is right. Everything against the Bible is coming to America right now. Should a Christian bow to any of that? None of it. We know what the Bible says. We stand by what the Word of God says. And we do not accept sin in our church. We accept repentance in our church. Now, do we, do we, do we, do we tell anybody it's certain sins? No. It's sin across the board. We don't categorize any of it. Stealing, this, that. You know all the sins in the Bible. We don't bow to any of that. We say what? We don't accept it. We don't say come in as sinners and stay sinners. No, we come in and we repent of the sin. We accept Jesus as our Savior and let him transform us into Jesus. And then the Bible says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. If, if you work hard, just instead work hard. It, it, don't let anger control you. All these things are, are in the Bible that are clear to us. There's no gray areas here. We know what sin is in the Bible. I get an amen here. And this is what we follow in this church. Okay. Verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times harder than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. That's how hot it was. You know when you go near a fire and it's really blazing? How, you can feel how hot it is? <clears throat> Just imagine how hot that was. Wow. 
verse 23. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god, or in the Aramaic, looks like a son of the gods. Okay, before we go on, it was obvious to those watching that this fourth person was supernatural. We cannot be certain who the fourth man was. It could have been an angel or a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. In either case, God sent a heavenly visitor to accompany these faithful men during their time of great trial. Amen. And that's what it'll do for us. The Bible says he, 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 um, he gives us angels and guardian angels watches over us. He sends them to us, for us. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke, of smoke. That's amazing, huh? Tell me that's not supernatural. All right, before we go on. These, these young men been, had been completely untouched by the fire and heat, okay? Only the rope that bound them had been burned off. Right? No human can bind us if God wants us to be free. Amen. The power available to us is the same that delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and raised Christ from the dead. Ephesians 1 verse 18 to 20. We all have that power. Trust God in every situation. There are eternal reasons for temporary trials. So be thankful that your destiny is in God's hands, not in human hands. Big amen, right? Now, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent this angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. <clears throat> so, even 
when people are obedient, they can see the power of God. Even Nebuchadnezzar became a believer. Okay? I believe, and a lot of scholars will believe it too, that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven. Because he believed. He believed. You see what he said? If they didn't worship, they were going to tear him limb from limb. He just switched. He did a 360. Short-lived. We know that. But <clears throat> The requirements to get into heaven is to what? Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Now, we believe in the Lord Jesus, and how many times do we wander away from him? We can't say, well, I wandered away, so I'm not saved anymore. That was a gift from God. The Holy Spirit will convict us back. He always does. Thank God for that. But we're all prone to wander. and get any men here. There is no other God. All right, we're going to close here before we go. Nebuchadnezzar was not making a commitment here to serve the Hebrew God alone. Instead, he was acknowledging that God is powerful and he commanded his people not to speak against God. Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell the people to throw away all the other gods, but to add this one to the list. Imagine. All right, we're going to close there. We're going to pick up in verse 30. Dave, you want to come up and close us tonight in prayer? Thank you. Then we're going to watch a video. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity for us just to gather together. Um, It's truly grateful and uh, joyful for us to be able to come to your house, Lord, with like-minded people to worship you, Lord. So grateful and thankful for everything that you've done unto our lives, Lord. Uh, What a great message tonight from Pastor. This book of Daniel has been so inspiring and just it's been amazing. I just pray, Lord, that we could um, have the strength to even come close to being something like Daniel and uh, his friends to even have that kind of strength, Lord. And we just use whatever we learn here, take it, apply it to our lives each day, Lord, by renewing our minds with your word, just to continue to live life like you want us to live, putting you first, put others second, ourselves uh, last, Lord. And just to continue to watch over this congregation, Lord, as we continue to grow with uh, people like-minded like us, Lord. That's it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. All right, we're going to stand and watch a video and close.